Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, September 7th, 2012. Today we're reading from the big book. We're in the chapter entitled, There is a Solution. We're going to be on page 22, the first full paragraph. Today's readers are Monica, Sarah, Kim, Sharon, and Paula. And the reference number for yesterday's meeting, that's Thursday, September 6th, Share code 2966, 2966. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for our members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Miriam to read the 12 steps. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, the vision for you. This is Miriam calling from Israel. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves caused us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and life over to God as we understood him. Four, made a search fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we have harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made a recommend to people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will, for us and the, power, and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Miriam. I will now call on Sophia to read the 12 traditions. There is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group consciousness. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, 
The only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other OA groups as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an AA group should ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Compulsive overeaters should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such would never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, over, compulsive overeaters ha, oh, has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Sophia. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We're in the chapter entitled, There is a Solution. You'll find us on page 22, that first full paragraph, beginning with, this is by no means. And I'm going to ask Monica to begin, please. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. This is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic, as our behavior patterns vary. But this description sort of should identify him roughly. Why does he behave like this? If, if hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle, with all its attendant suffering and humiliation. Why is it he takes that one drink? Why can't he stay on the water wagon? What has become of the common sense and willpower that he still sometimes displays with respect to other matters? Perhaps there never will be a full answer to these questions. 
opinions vary considerably as to why the alcoholic reacts differently from normal people. We are not sure why. Once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. We cannot answer the riddle. So the big book here, we've been talking about different types of drinkers. And then it goes on to say here, and the big book is, is told us about them, and now it's asked us all these questions. And, and Bill, when he writes, likes to ask questions. And then we know from this that he is going to, there will be some answers following. But then the third paragraph I wrote says, we do not have an answer. We cannot answer the riddle. We're not sure why this happens, but we know it does. And that is what we need to um, pull away from here with, is that, you know, there's no need to try and answer anymore. This is a program of action, and they, there is a solution. Because they, ha they didn't know the answer to our, our dilemma back in the 1930s, and here we are 75 years later in 2012, and they still don't know the answer for sure with our disease, our dilemma. So it's not for us to try to figure it out. But they are going to give us a solution here. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you, Monica. Anyone else like to comment on what's been read? Jump on in. The water's warm. This is Sarah. Sarah, go ahead. Hi, good morning, everyone. This is Sarah, Compulsive Overeater. Um, so the big question here in these paragraphs is why? Why Why does he behave like this? You know, when he knows differently. And, and why, why did I eat like a nut? Why did I turn to food for the solution to my problems? Why, why, why? So what this paragraph is telling us is that why really isn't relevant because why isn't going to solve my problem. The purpose of the book is to teach me and all of us precisely how these people recovered. The why, you know, self-knowledge. I used to think, and, I, and I'm I, one of the biggest believers in self-knowledge would solve my problems. and And it didn't. You know... It helped me understand my problem and, you know, these questions and, and a lot of the explanations certainly up until this point helped me understand what my problem looks like, but it doesn't solve my problem. And why the alcoholic behaves the way he does, we don't have the answers to that and why won't be relevant when we just, just like Monica said, when it's the actions and the the program of recovery, the steps and how they work, which solves my problem. So, you know, why always seems to be like the the big question, but why doesn't give the answer? And they don't have the answers. And as long as I take the actions that work and live by the principles that produce the transformation of mind and body, then why just 
becomes another letter in the alphabet. With that, I'll pass. Thank you very much. Anybody else? Sharon. Sharon, go ahead. Sharon. Sharon. Hi, this is Sharon. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and good morning to all of you. Um, This is um, this is an interesting uh, paragraph. Why? 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 And um, you know, it's something that you know I have children, and they oftentimes want to know why, 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 and they go on and on. And and for some things, there is no answer to uh, as to why. And it's it's really not required. But the the question of why can become an excuse. Um, it can become a cover for us to keep on eating because since I don't know why and since I'm stuck on it and I can't move beyond the why, then I can, until I understand why, I don't want to move on. I was in the rooms for 10 years trying to understand why. And and that, it just became an excuse you know, it's like I have to figure this out. I've got to understand, and it was a, it was this uh, reason. I hid behind the confusion of why I'd eat and then pound on the table. Why did I do this again? Here we go. Here I am again, and I'm such a loser. And I'm on and on and on, and um, I, I find that sometimes. Um, there's a sense of arrogance behind the why. There's this, I can figure it out, and until I do, I'm not going to move on. There's this effort to uh, elevate ourselves and thinking that um, we're, uh, our mind has the power to figure these things out. But again, the reality is is that in order to recover, we don't have to understand why, but we do have to accept complete defeat. We do have to come to the end of ourselves. We have to come to the end of the question why, and we have to get to the point of surrender. We have to give up trying to figure it out. The belief that we can figure it out is putting our faith in ourselves. If I can just figure this out, then I can recover. But the reality is, is that no amount of figuring it out will get us recovered. What will get us recovered is admitting complete defeat. That is the beginning of our recovery. The acceptance that in ourselves, in our own power, we cannot and will not and will never recover. doesn't matter why. What it matters is acceptance. What matters is surrendering. What matters is letting go and just, you know, kind of letting go and entering that never-never land with the acceptance, with the understanding, with the belief that because other people did it, so can I, that there is a power that is greater than me, that is greater than my ability to understand why. 
there is a power that is greater than myself. I may not understand it. I don't need to understand it. I just need to accept it. I just need to reach out into that void of darkness, grab hold of it, that flicker of light at the end of the tunnel. It's there. You can cross over into recovery. If you will reach your hand out, grab into the great unknown, you know, throw yourself with complete abandon and, and accept the fact that you will be caught, you will recover, but you're not going to get it through figuring it out. It's through letting go that you will recover. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Anyone else like to comment on what's been read? This is Janice. Janice, please, go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. So in this portion of the big book here, I am starting to get a description of my thinking, of my thinking. I'm starting to identify myself. You know, they gave me a description of the real alcoholic. And I could identify. I could identify with that description of the real alcoholic. I, too, am one of those people that at some stage of my drinking career lost all control of my consumption once I started to drink. Once I started to drink, I lost all control. So it tells me here, why does he behave like this? If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink, one drink means another debacle with all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why is it he takes that one drink, that first bite, that one bite, that always, always, always led me down that same path. There was no predicting where the eating would end or if it would end once I picked up that one bite. So why is it that I kept behaving like that? Why is it that I kept picking up that one drink? Why was it that I couldn't stay on a diet? Why was it that I couldn't stay, despite all the money that I might have paid, to some self-help program, why was it that my common sense and my willpower that I seem to have in other matters was gone when it come, came to this matter? When it came to this matter, I had no control. So we're beginning to get an idea that it's in my thinking. You know, and perhaps there will never be a real complete answer. Was I born this way? Did it develop in me? Is it in my DNA? Who knows and who cares? At this point, I was so desperate. I was so ready for someone to give me. There is a solution. That I was willing to look at these questions the Big Book was answered, was, was asking, knowing there would be an answer. You know, the reasons for the illness are unimportant. You know, I spent plenty of time laying on couches talking to therapists and and groups and trying to figure out why it was I behaved that way. But the big book is telling me, if I'm a real alcoholic, if I'm a real compulsive overeater of that most critical variety, then this is going to be me. And if I can identify in, I can see myself in this 
that all the analysis paralysis is not going to mean anything to me because what I'm going to see is a solution here, a solution and a way out. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Janice. I heard someone else like to share on this comment. This is on Kim. this paragraph. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle with all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why is it he takes that one drink? Well, first of all, I never thought it was the first bite. I mean, my favorite binge food is only 300 calories. The problem isn't, isn't the first bite. The problem is the tenth bite. But then it's ground into us over and over again that it is that first bite that leads to the next debacle. So if hundreds of experiences, but you don't understand, there was a birthday party in 1978 when I could just have one slice of cake. I remember when I saw Footloose in the 1980s. The movie was so good, I didn't binge at that movie. You know, there was my friend's wedding in 1995 that I was able to enjoy the wedding. But the fact is, there were hundreds of birthday parties where I would sit in the bathroom and steal pieces of the cake so I could eat it by myself. There were hundreds of movies where I always remember the movie. I remember a little bit of the beginning because I was binging so bad. There are all the weddings that I went to that I can't even tell you who was in the wedding party because I was so busy at the buffet. So why do we do that? It's because we have that mind that wants us to believe that this time will be different. If I can remember that one exception to the rule, then maybe I can control it. Maybe that one drink is possible. Maybe that one bite is possible. So I think what everyone is saying is wonderful. We're going to analyze it and we're going to rationalize it of why we can be different. Because if we have the, the hope that one day we can go into the movie and just enjoy a little, we have that hope that one day we can go to that birthday party and have just one piece of cake. Then we can still live in that delusion. And the why doesn't matter. The fact is the evidence, the evidence, hundreds of experiences have shown us that we cannot do that. And that's why and there is a solution. We spend, we've been spending so much pom, pom, uh, time, again, reviewing the problem, the problem, the problem. But until we understand the problem, we're not going to accept that solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Kim. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'd like to comment on this as well. Why does he behave like this if hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle with all its attendant suffering and humiliation? Why is it he takes that one drink? Um, you know, I identify with that. I mean, I stopped hundreds of times. I stopped hundreds of times. Why couldn't I stay stopped? You know, this is the real uh this is the real issue here that the big book is is going to introduce that the real problem is even after all the damage that compulsive overeating my career did to me, even after all the illness, even after the medical consequences, even after the tears, even after the despair and the hopelessness and the misery even after all that, comes a time when I think picking up that first bite is the best idea I've had in a long time. <laughs> you know, that is the nature of insanity. We cannot see the truth. We cannot see 
the truth about ourselves. So insanity doesn't mean that we're all gone. It just means that we're not all here. When it comes to food, our binge foods, we can't see the truth. And we make a decision based upon a lie, and then, <laughs> and then uh, we take that first bite. You know, that is the insanity. If, if you burn your hand badly on a hot stove, I'm sure many of you have done that. I know I have. Chances are we're always going to remember that. I remember the singe of my flesh. I do. I remember the pain. <laughs> I remember the recovering from a burn. And I'm never going to put my hand deliberately on a hot stove because I remember the pain and suffering that it brought me. But somehow... Somehow, when it comes to compulsive overeating, I cannot remember who and what I am. That's the real problem with you and I. And if we don't believe we have this mental obsession, then there's no reason for the steps. It says here, opinions vary considerably as to why the alcoholic reacts differently from normal people. We are not sure why. Once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. We cannot answer the riddle. How did I get to be a compulsive overeater? Why am I a compulsive overeater? We don't know. And we don't have the time to figure this out, how you got to be a compulsive overeater, because this is not about medical science, and this is not about psychology. This is not about Freudian concepts. We don't have the time to figure out how you got to be a compulsive overeater because chances are you're going to die during the investigation. So let's continue on in our big book unless someone else has a comment on what's been read. It's Irini. Irini, go right ahead. Yeah, this is Catherine. And then Catherine. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Edini. I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Why is really not the question. The question is turning the why into what. And this is the greatest shift anybody can ever do in their lives. Because when we always ask why, we're living in the problem. But when we turn that why into what, then we start living in the solution. And that is God, and that is where he guides us to all the answers. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you. And Catherine, please. Yes, this is Catherine, a recovered compulsive overeater. And... um, Yeah, in this paragraph, I'm just reminded about later in the big book, it tells us on page 30, the delusion that we are like other people are presently maybe has to be smashed. The idea that someday, somehow, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt that at times, excuse me, all of us felt at times that we were gaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led us in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. And for me, it's a denial, the denial that we, we can um, 
We are not compulsive overeaters. We need to surrender. We need to accept and surrender. And uh, that is uh, the key to starting on the road to recovery. On that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. We're going to move on now to the next paragraph with Sarah, please. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens, both in the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. I'm going to stop there just because there's a lot um, in this. This is just... um, Entire, the doctor's opinion, entire abstinence. Once we're bodily and mentally different, we just once you can you once you you stay away from it and all is good. But once you ingest whatever that little bit, you know, it just this reminds me of like I have allergies to certain foods that my throat closes up and. I know, I don't, like, it's not even a question that um, I don't eat those foods because I don't, I don't want to die. <laughs> I know that my throat's just going to close up and I'm not going to be able to breathe. So, but, but for a long time, I would try anyway. I would see, oh, am I really still allergic? Is it really going to happen? And it, it, it just, every time, it just starts to close up and I need to wash it out and, and a whole bit. Um, as, and as long as I don't eat those foods, I'm fine like every other person. Once I take them into my system, my throat starts to expand and it starts to close up. It's the same thing for the alcoholic. Um, any little bit, just react, the body, the mind and body react differently than other men. Don't need to know why, just need to know that it happens and need to walk away. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. Janice and then Paula, please. Thank you. Thank you very much, Leah. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens both in the bodily and mental sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. So we're looking at the experience of these 100 recovered recovered alcoholics, and then I'm looking at my own experience as I'm reading here, my own experience. Is this true for me? There were times when I could stay away from that first compulsive bite. And I might be able to do that for a while. But as I've heard said, it's like holding your breath underwater. After a certain amount of time, there is no way that I cannot pick up that first bite. There is no way. 
and it was proven to me again and again and again. And although I have learned in the doctor's opinion, and I've learned here from the experience of Bill Wilson and these other recovered alcoholics, that there is something in my bodily sense, in my physiological self, this allergic reaction to certain foods that ensures that once I start, the phenomenon of craving develops and I cannot stop that physiological reaction. But if that were my only problem, if that were my only problem, I could stay away from that first bite. But there is something they're telling me here in the mental sense, in the mental sense that makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. And the experience of any real alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. And my own experience confirms it. That sooner or later, hanging on by my fingernails, the inevitable would happen and I would pick up. Even with all the experiences that I had had that ended up in misery and despair and tears and frustration, saying, God help me, there I would be again. And I don't know about you, but there is nothing worse than that feeling. Here I am again. But I'm starting to get an explanation of this. Big Book is teaching me that there is something both in the bodily and the mental sense that's going on here. And more will be revealed. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Paula, please. This is Paula Mascia. Yes, Paula, please go ahead. Thank you. You know, we left off with in the last paragraph, we cannot answer the riddle. They came together, and they couldn't answer the riddle, nor could we. But then it says, we know. Now, this is where the change is, but this is what we do know. That we don't. But we know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. And didn't it say it on the, on the page before when we scooted over? He is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything whoop, except liquor. But then it concludes, and I, and I just love the way we are equally positive. We are equally po- just as sure that once he takes alcohol, whatever, whatever, wherever, whenever, into his system, something happens. Something happens. And we've lived that through that. But it says both, and I love this this combination, this is why there is no fighting against it. Because it doesn't just happen in the body. Nay, nay. You come together bodily and mentally. It comes together. There is no fighting it. What do you fight it with? Not at this point. Because it says clearly, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. Try away. Try as hard as you will, whatever you will. No, you cannot. And then it says the experience, and we try experience to experiment. We try it over and over again, and this is what they concluded. The experience of any alcoholic, any true alcoholic, will abundantly, not just confirm this, abundantly confirm this. 
there will not be a time. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you so much. Anyone else like to comment on what's been read? This is Christy. Christy, go ahead. Good morning, everyone. I'm Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, uh, this part here where it says once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into a system, something happens both in the bodily and mentally sense. Both in the bodily and mentally sense. What does that mean for someone like me? So for me, my trigger foods, I'm triggered by sugar, fat, flour, and volume. And, you know, if, if I can just um, paint a picture for you, you know, if you think about, if I think about the smallest um, you know, what, what, you know, what would that look like for me? Would it be like a grain of sugar? If you took like one granule of sugar, I mean, you know how small a granule of sugar is. What if you took a razor blade and you cut it in the teeniest pieces you could possibly cut it in, and then I put it on my tongue, you know, what, you know, the smallest, smallest, smallest amount. And, um, you know, it's, you know, for me, that's how I look at this. It, that's how I look at this. It's not that I needed to eat, you know, an entire pint of ice cream. You know, it's, it's any, it says here, any alcohol, any alcohol, whatever, into his system, any alcohol. For me, you know, making that decision to eat that split up granule of sugar, it hits my tongue and I want more. I'm not satisfied. I, I don't push away from the other little granules of sugar sitting there saying, wow, I, I just, I can't do that again. I'm done. I am done once that happens. I am done once that happens. I mean, that is truly the way I look at it today. I don't mess around. I don't mess around with it. I am very clear that I am triggered by the mental obsession if I ingest sugar, fat, flour, and volume into my body. You know, today I have to put boundaries around my food. I have to put boundaries around the type of food I eat. You know, I am very clear where that line has been crossed today in my life. And you know, when I look at this and it says, you know, the alcoholic might keep away from drink for months or years, months, are you kidding me, years? You know, as my disease progressed, you, you, you were talking seconds and minutes for me. You know, could I keep away from this food for seconds? Could I keep away from this food for minutes? I ate constantly, constantly. And when I wasn't eating, I was obsessed with eating because I suffer from the physical allergy that once I ingest certain foods for me that I've already, already described to you into my system, I kick in that craving beyond my mental control and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm stuck in that cycle and I was stuck in that cycle for years and years. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. It will abundantly confirm this. Christy, remember what happened 25 seconds ago when you did that? You know, I... Um, you know, the the cycle time for me got tighter and tighter and tighter until it was gripping me around my neck. And there wasn't months or years. I did not have the luxury of having that much space. You know, I um, was imprisoned. I was imprisoned by that cycle. And I, you know, I... Um, it's only now, it's only now that I have full awareness because I've been away from the food 
said, I know, I know, I remember with very clear, vivid memories what will happen to me if I, if I have just one grain. You know, I don't even entertain those thoughts. I just know what will happen if I pick up that first bite, that first bite, that granule of sugar. You know, it, just, it doesn't take much for me. It doesn't take much for me. And, uh, you know, I'm just so grateful that I'm reminded over and over again that all I need to do is remind myself over and over again of what that food did to me when I picked up that first bite. And I'm just, I'm just so grateful for that today that I've got space between, you know, years now, over a decade between me and that last bite, but that the memories are vivid for me. The memories are vivid for me so that I will never forget, God willing, what it was like, what prison I was in by picking up that first bite. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, this is Monica. Catherine. Catherine, go ahead. Monica. Thank Catherine Thank and then Monica. Thank you. Thank you. This is uh, Catherine, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And, uh, boy, this chapter is coming to life for me today. And, um, you know, for me, you know, reading the big book, Al- uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and being able to relate to the alcoholic and his disease, I can understand mine. On page 31, it, it goes on to say, despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics, or compulsive readers, are not going to believe they are in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. If anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking or eating can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. And I'm so grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous, for the big book, and for learning and, and having a sharing from the alcoholics about their disease so I can understand mine. And I pass. Thank you. Thank you. Monica, go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Good morning again. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And this paragraph here, it starts out with, we know. And uh, before that, we were reading all these whys, 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 whys. Well, now they're saying, we know. And who are who are these people? These are the first 100 recovered alcoholics who helped put this book together. You know, it's easy to argue with just one person. It's a little more difficult to argue with a hundred people. So they're saying, we know there's things you can do. And they also say, we are equally positive. You know, he's using um, some really strong language here. In the first sentence, we know. And now, we are equally positive. These 100 are all, they're all together on this. That if you take that first bite of a binge food, you are going to have the allergy develop, the phenomenon of craving is going to come over you. And also that there is a mental aspect of this disease. We know this. This is what they're saying. We know this. We may not know why, but we know these facts. And how do they know these facts? The last sentence says, the experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. You know, they have this experience 
And they also have the experience of the solution and recovery. So they know it from the beginning to the end. You know, they know how it's going to turn out. Our experience at this point can only tell us when we honestly look at this that, yeah, every time I pick up, I would develop the phenomenon of craving and I was off on the roller coaster once again. And who knows where it was going to end. And then, you know, that my mind would say, hey, Monica, this is the best idea you had all day to pick this up, you know. So I think it's just important that we know this book is written by a 100 recovered people. They know, they've been through it, and they are sharing this with us. So that hopefully we don't have to spin our wheels trying to figure out why. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. We'll move on now to the next paragraph with Kim, please. Thank you. Um, These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. If you ask him why he started on the last fender, the chances are he will offer you any one of 100 alibis. Sometimes these excuses have a certain plausibility, but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. They sound like the philosophy of a man who, having a headache, beats himself on the head with a hammer so he can't feel the ache. If you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of an alcoholic, he will laugh it off or become irritated and refuse to talk. Wow, this is great. You know, I'm thinking of, you know, another allergy. Let's say somebody has a bad reaction to poison ivy. But they love to hike, so they go hiking and they know where the poison ivy is and they avoid it, and maybe they wear certain clothing that'll, if something poison ivy hits them, it's not going to get on their skin. So really, their allergy to poison ivy is academic. Well, what would you think of somebody that loves to go hiking and they know they're allergic to poison ivy and they walk around and all they look at the poison ivy and they're like, oh, look at that poison ivy. Doesn't that poison ivy look pretty? And suddenly they don't notice the birds singing and the beautiful trees and the, and the flowers out there. All they can see is the poison ivy. And finally they give in and they strip down their underwear and they go running into the poison ivy and they roll all over it. And then that terrible cycle happens again. So is the problem that he has an allergy to poison ivy and he breaks out in the rash and the hives? Or is the problem in his mind that he, when he sees poison ivy, he can't help but strip down to his underwear and go rolling in the poison ivy? You know, that's what it is. It's, it's that combination of, it, of the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. If I simply understood there were certain foods, certain ingredients that I was allergic to, it would be academic. I would just avoid them. But the problem is in my mind that tells me it's going to be okay this time. I don't know if you guys remember when we used to go to movies as kids, but they had the concession stand um, advertisement, and they would have hot dogs with legs and arms, and they'd be kicking like rock cats, and come visit us at the, at the concession stand. Have a hot dog. Have a this. Have a that. That was what food was for me. It was like everything was the rock cats, and I'm just waiting to who's calling me to, to, to eat it. So the problem isn't that I have the allergy. The allergy is simply handled by abstaining from that product. The problem is I have a mind that is showing the Rockettes production in my head that tells me, go back to the food. 
And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. Go ahead, please. Thank you. Thank you. A most important, most important piece of information here in this paragraph. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. Centers in his mind rather than in his body. Here is the beginning of an answer to that question I always had. Why can I not stay stopped? Why can I not stay stopped? Because I wanted to stop, and I stopped hundreds of times, and sometimes with the most heartfelt intent, the most heartfelt intent, this time it's going to be different. This time I'm going to stay away. But I couldn't stay away, and now I'm beginning to see, as the big book progresses here in our solution, that the possibility of stopping was in the decision I was making, the decision I was making. And I really like that this paragraph begins to talk a bit about the alcoholic personality, and I could relate to that too. You know, it it sounds so crazy when someone else says it, when someone else looks at it from the outside and says, if you know this about yourself, Janice, if you know this about yourself, why don't you just stop? Why don't you just push away from the table? Why don't you take a hot bath instead of having that item of food? Why don't you do something to distract yourself? You know, and I could not do that. I could not do that. You know, people would look at me and it must have looked like I have a bad headache, but I'm going to take a hammer and knock on my head to distract me from the pain I'm feeling. It must have looked that crazy. It must have looked that crazy. And if you would tell me that, if you would point that out to me, well, it would irritate me greatly. I did not want to hear it, and I would refuse to talk. Sometimes I could laugh about it, and I could give you a million reasons, a million excuses. Well, of course I had to pick. Of course I had to eat. I was going to a wedding. You know, I was celebrating with the bride and groom. It was what they were serving. Of course I had to attend that family function. I mean, my mother made that for me, and she made it because she loved me. Of course I had to eat that. It seemed reasonable at the time. But, you know, it's telling us that there was a way of thinking that I had over which I also had no control, a way of thinking. And I'm so grateful that this information is coming exactly where I needed it to be in the solution. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? Sure, Paula. Go ahead. Thank you. That word, therefore, the main problem. See, I knew parts of the problem. Well, it could be this and it could be that, but wait. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. I I didn't understand that. Because it had to do with what I put into my body. 
But it says the main problem is why, where, when, all of that. It's centered somewhere in my mind. And then my body followed. I thought it was the opposite. I thought it was the opposite. No, then it came together. But I'll tell you, that part, when it says so clearly, if you draw reasoning, fallacious reasoning, to the attention of an alcoholic, this part was scooting right down here. He will laugh it off. Oh, how can that be? Come on, we're talking about food here. What are we talking about? Now, what are we talking about? Or become irritated and refuse to talk. And there it is. There's where it always was. Shut the door on it. Don't think about it. But how could you not think about it when it was always there? Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you so much. This is such an important uh, passage here in the big book because it's really honing in on the obsession of the mind, which is the greater aspect of our disease. It says, therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. I mean, the big book has made it clear, you know, in the doctor's opinion and elsewhere, that I have an abnormal reaction to certain substances. That's a no-brainer at this point, right? Just like the alcoholic is allergic to alcohol. Anytime he ingests alcohol, he gets a uh, phenomenon of craving, this insatiable appetite for more of the same. It's the same thing for someone like me, a real compulsive overeater. You know, I take in certain substances, there is a phenomenon of craving. I get an insatiable appetite for more of the same, and I that feeling intensifies. It never satisfies. Okay, so since I know that, since I know that, I should just be able to eliminate those foods from what I ingest on a daily basis, right? That's a no-brainer. Just like the person that's allergic to peanuts, they don't eat peanuts. But I have a greater problem. I have a problem in my mind. I have a mental problem because all action is born in thought. My binge foods don't just catapult themselves off the counter and down my throat. (laughs) I make a decision based on a lie. And then I take action on that lie. I make a decision that this time I can handle it. This time it won't get me. This time I'll have a few bites and stop. This time I can take care of it. This time, you know, I'll just uh, eat a little tonight and start again tomorrow. See, the big problem with the obsession of the mind is that it keeps me from seeing the truth, seeing things the way they are. And instead of the truth, I believe a lie. And worse than that, I take action on the lie. That's the obsession of the mind, this strange mental twist that makes thinking about food and forces out any thoughts to the contrary. And this is different from normal people. Normal people don't do this. You know, normal people don't have this problem. The person that's allergic to peanuts doesn't have to go to Peanuts Anonymous. They don't have to get on a phone line every morning at 7 a.m. and talk about not eating peanuts. They just know they don't eat peanuts because they have an allergic reaction to peanuts. But not so with the real compulsive overeater. Not so with the real compulsive overeater. This is the obsession of the mind. And if we don't get this, we won't understand the necessity for the steps. And with that, I pass. And it's time to close. And so I will say thank you to everyone. 
who has shared this morning. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. I'll ask Sharon to read from page 164, please. Thank you. Hello, this is Sharon, and I am a recovered compulsively uh, overeater. Thank you, uh, and good morning to you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.